Welcome, bienvenue, to the Fantasy Tools Podcast. This is a show where fantasy tools discuss fantasy tools. I'm your host, Eric Rentz, and I'm joined by my co-host, Michael Peterson. Our mission is to discuss fantasy baseball and the tools that we're developing that help us manage our teams. Cue that intro music. Colorado playoffs. We're both in. Home league. You are the number two seed. I am the number four seed. We had buys. It felt great. Here we are. How do you feel? Like that buy was really needed for my team. A team that had Whit Merrifield, who um, I think he basically went over. Did it? And see, in contrast to you, I had a fantastic week last week. So... It was really depressed. Two Shane Bieber starts that are like, ah, really could have used those stats somewhere. Uh, well, he did not go over. He went one for 30. One for 30. That uh, is not good. That'll kill you. That'll kill you in a week where stats count. In Under a normal scenario, we are looking at um, week eight of a head-to-head, mm-hmm. right? Week eight of a head-to-head league, you're just really starting to feel like you kind of have a sense for what your team is and have no idea if the teams around you are gelling or if they're trying something completely new. I made a couple of changes that I felt like are going to, on the waiver wire, that I feel like are going to really drastically change what my team looks like. I haven't really been able to watch him and see, see if he's doing the same thing. He has uh, public enemy number one, um, young Yaz. So I mean, <laughs> anything can happen. I I do actually yeah I do actually I do respect that, which is that the um, like early on in the season, a single waiver wire pickup can change the whole complexion of your team. And I understand what you're saying that we're still early on in the season that one pickup can change how you feel about how to put together your whole team. Yeah. But that said, some years you go an entire season missing one piece that you're questing for the whole time. I had the rude awakening that fantasy football was back when like every single league that I was in, I guess decided at the same time, I guess ESPN decided and then pushed it to everybody like, yeah, fantasy football is happening this year. And then, um, wow, it, it has it been everywhere? Uh, yeah. Um, and I just not ready, just not ready. The only thing that I was ready for was the name of um, my team, which was TK four two one. Yeah. But they have an ESPN the location, so Docking Bay three two seven. I um. Do you feel that do you feel that NFL news is more normal this year than you thought it would be? It all reads very very normal. Okay. I was just, I was trying to make sure that it wasn't just me because honestly like you you can you could disappear into the NFL world I feel like and not understand that there's anything happening elsewhere. 
Right. Yeah. I mean, like the they're hardly covering the COVID cases. Like in in the, in the NFL world, it's not clear that there's a pandemic on. <laughs> no. <laughs> nope. 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 Um, I there's yeah, like the there are a bunch of players that have opted out, but a lot of them are defensive players or offensive players that aren't. A lot of the skill position players are playing. So plans of uh, things in the NBA have really changed since we spoke a week ago. <laughs> I mean, as we knew. Yeah, Celtics just completed their gentleman sweep. Oh, wait. That game three went to uh, 48 minutes and not 47.55.5 seconds. Yeah, I I mean, real heartbreaker. They're, I mean, they're in the driver's seat again. Obviously, this isn't how you'd like this to have gone. <laughs> <laughs> but you'd you'd obviously like this to be over. But you can't tell me that the Raptors are anywhere remotely favored in this series now. No, I think it, the Celtics came out yesterday and put and put the clamps on, and that was that was what needed to happen for the series to actually to switch momentum. Yep. Because I they could have they could have charged. Raptors could have charged through. We've seen this in normal scenarios. We've seen it happen where they just, a team wins game three and then just. Well, right. I mean, so game four was like game four. The Raptors just ran roughshod over the Celtics. And like, it was like, oh, I mean, because I texted you right after game three and you said, oh, I think the momentum has shifted. And in game four, like, oh, yeah, no, that momentum had way (laughs) shifted. You poo-pooed my statement. You poo-pooed my statement. And then, wow, the Raptors prove that that was I know. I know. So, um, I frankly, I think that's the only series that really uh, is of particular note right now. I'm not sure how you felt about the conclusion of, of Jazz Nuggets. Um, just, it felt, it felt like that was the right, the right thing to happen. Um, the Jazz are just so undermanned. They just, they, they didn't have enough, they just looked exhausted. They just didn't have enough options. The Nuggets team is a little bit deeper. Um, yep. I have a little bit better players up up front with Connolly never really showing up this season. And I always forget which one it is. Uh, Bogdanovich, right? Mm-hmm. Not showing up in the bubble. I mean, the Jazz team just can, couldn't compete. It just seems wild to me, switching back to the East. It just seems wild to me that you're going to face the Heat. <laughs> I know, but that was the team that I was. I've been telling people that I didn't want the Celtics to play, so it does. It's, I, it's not that wild. Sure, I understand that, but I also really, I mean, I also really don't think that you wanted to play the Bucks. <laughs> I mean, but then, but then, of course, the Bucks are putting up this series against the Heat. So, like, if you could have this Bucks series against the Celtics, <laughs> you'd feel pretty good. I mean, Celtics won Game One against them last year in the playoffs, which it always felt like. You never know with the Bucks, and then and then they got a five game sweep, you know, against the Celtics last year. But geez, if the Celtics had continued that momentum in some way, they had a talented team. They could have done something against them. That's the thing about this Bucks team. They did this. They did that against the Magic, and then they started that way against the Heat, and then couldn't change the momentum. And last year the Bucks did that against the 76ers, who are not a good team. Um. It always felt like the Bucks aren't aren't really there um, fully. 
they're like the um Sacramento Kings <laughs> in the early aughts. You know, a team that's really good in the regular season, has everything that you think you want to have in a playoff team, and then just cannot quite put everything together to choke a team. Doesn't have quite the players that you're worried about um, to really win a series. Yep. Whereas the Heat, I'm concerned about them. Once you actually, like, when you look at it on paper, you're talking about a head coach that has won a couple of championships. I know it was with LeBron James, but, I mean, you know, at a certain point, you have to not discredit that. You got Jimmy Butler, who's a really good player. You've got a lot of really good players on that team. And, um, and then you have Pat Riley's presence there. Mm-hmm is sort of like Red Auerbach's presence on the Celtics in the 80s, where it's just like, sure, he's not the one who's coaching the team or playing the games, but he's a fucking winner, and he's there, and he's done it several times. So it's a scary team. Yeah. Scary team. This week, I want to show you some box and whisker plots, get a little uh, proofing done here, see what we can learn from these. Just wet our whistle, I guess, and uh, figure out some stuff that we can do with them. So what what is a box and whisker plot uh, that you have excitedly brought up on this podcast multiple times this year? Well, we we talk about distributions all the time, right? And we talk about wanting to see um, distributions over several different vectors there's a tool that was developed to do that which is boskin whisker plot which shows you as far as i it's like the same thing since grade school which would be the average median or um median or mean and then the um uh different quartiles right that's right yeah and then max and min, if you if you so choose. That's right. So you're getting your what you get in a traditional box and whisker plot. You get five things. You get the median. You get the the fifty percent range. So the the first quartile and the third quartile. And then you get the minimum and maximum. So ideally, from that, you you're kind of trusting that your eye can interpolate something that looks like a bell curve. Right. Right, exactly. You, you're trying to see. I love sometimes with data, especially with big data, you have to kind of uh, transpose things so often in your head and then look at a different direction um, dimensionally. I am moving around as if this was a video podcast <laughs> and absolutely no one would want to watch our, our video post- podcasting. But I think you can. With a bo- box and whisker, if you have been exposed to them before, I think you can. Well, I guess part of the nice thing is that ideally you've been exposed to both a box and whisker plot and a Gaussian curve forever, essentially. Yep. And so you've seen those two things for a really long time. So you have an intuitive grasp of, okay, this is sort of what this would look like if I drew a curve on top of it. Well, quite frankly, I knew what a box and whisker was well before I knew what a bell curve Gaussian That's an interesting question. normal distribution was. I mean, I think they, they certainly appear, although I didn't understand any of the mathematical framework behind it but i i feel like late elementary school i it's a context that i actually it predates my general statistical understanding oh, yeah. of um of data oh, yeah. 
big time. So in some ways, seeing it is like, oh, yeah, look at how fat that little box and whisker is. Real, real <laughs> cathartic. I think my my only before we get into it, my only gripe is with the with the whiskers. I always put, I still put way too much steak in the whiskers when really you should be looking at the box. <laughs> but I I think. The, the way that they're visualized, I'm often drawn to, like, wow, that whisker's really long. And, like, oh, that's not the thing that I really should be focusing on. I should really be focusing on the meat of the distribution. That is absolutely correct. It's one of the biggest problems. It is one of the biggest problems with it. Yeah. Um, you Because the weight of a whisker in the um, data ink is far more than it than it should be proportionally to how much data ink is on the box. Right. Well, I think that's part of the idea of why the why you make the box fatter <laughs> mentally. That was a nice a nice discussion of the <laughs> the theory of a box and whisker plot. The reason we were interested in them this week was because we're trying to figure out how to visualize the distribution of velocities of a given pitch. And trying to figure out what you can what you can take away from that distribution, and I think the natural thing to do here is to one give ourselves an understanding of give ourselves some con- contextual understanding of the pitch velocities, and then two, and what this is what I did. You'll see that I compared 2019 distributions to 2020 distributions. And this is a thing that people do all the time. Like, look at how the pitch velocities are changing over time. And I begrudgingly admit, I think a box and whisker is, is a, was a really good idea. I should have done this weeks ago. It helps. This is great. This is great to see different players against each other as well. The different players are crazy. So let me talk you through what I showed you here. I took uh, five different pitchers, just uh, for fun, as, as an example here. Shane Bieber, Jose Barrios, Zach Greinke, Garrett Cole, James Paxton. And I took their 2019 distributions, all of their pitches, just to give ourselves some statistical weight. Because we wouldn't have anything from James Paxton in 2020. Uh, we would have a couple things, but it would be sad. But yes. So, and then I broke down, I, I looked at all the different types of pitches that uh, that came in here. And this is where our first exciting data cleaning problem comes in and my major gripe of the year so far for StatCast. So here's what I did. I divided up, um, I categorized the pitches the way that StatCast does into four-seam fastball, two-seam fastball, sinkers, cut fastball, change-up, slider, split fastball, knuckle curve, curveball, uh, change-up, excuse me, and an EFIS pitch. Got to throw in the EFIS pitch because you got Zach Greinke in there. So you can ignore that. But the first thing you'll see, um, and I box and whiskered all five guys laid them on top of each other um, in a distribution. We'll probably end up sharing this. First thing you probably notice is that it seems that no one threw a sinker last year. Yeah. Well, I was in reading the, uh, the what was it? The, um, the MVP machine. They talked about it a, a lot. They talked about the fact that um, big league teams are trying to get away from sinkers and are trying to get away from using that pitch because it's not as effective at getting strikeouts so i i well that's true but that's that's actually not also categorization what's happening here what's happening here (laughs) is that they stack cast last year with apparently no notice switched from 
two-seam fastballs to sinkers, so they're treating them synonymously. So 2019, really? two-seam fastballs, 2020, sinkers. So if you made the same plot in 2020, there are no oh, really? two-seam fastballs. <laughs> it's super annoying. Oh, my and, God. And I can't it's... find any documentation of this anywhere, but it's obviously what happens because if you... Make, the nice thing about making box and whisker plots is that I can compare the distributions. <laughs> you look at like the pitches that were sink that were two seam fastballs last year, the pitches that were sink that are sinkers this year. Huh, it's the same distribution. So why did you guys do that to me? <laughs> why did you have to change this distribution? There's so much stuff that we have to deal with like that. It's so frustrating. Yeah. Like, come on, why are you doing this? So the bottom line is okay. when I show well, you when I show you these other plots, you have to mentally concatenate the two-seam fastballs and the sinkers together. Is a two-seam fastball really always a sinker? So there's actually a really interesting Fangraphs article on this. Uh, and it depends on who you ask. So they asked a bunch, they asked like 12 different people, pitching coaches and pitchers in the MLB. It was basically 50-50. 50% of people said two-seam fastball sinker, exactly the same thing. And 50% said, no, they're subtly different pitches because of the left-to-right movement in some in some cases. Something that I feel like you could see is probably some spin rate thing. There's probably so we've, some... we've done we've done this before, right? We did some... we did yeah, PCA movement. analysis. One of the PCA things that we did two years ago was pitch categorization using movement spin rate using everything. So you could certainly let it loose on this again and probably come up with better classifications, which you almost certainly should do because calling these, calling, like, if you look at the uh, the change-ups here that we've got Zach Grinke's and Jose Barrios's and they're 10 miles an hour different, <laughs> like, that's not it the same only pitch. only two to <laughs> pitch change-ups. Yeah. yeah. It's not the same pitch. So it's like, should we call them the same thing? I don't know. Yeah, I think that was the first. It was actually probably the first thing that I looked at and noticed outside of the sinker thing. The two things that I saw first was no sinkers. Makes I guess it makes sense that it's a two-team fastball. I'd always thought that they were distinct pitches, but okay, fine. Uh, and then the change up, the different speed of only two of these players, who I would say all the ones that we picked here are elite, except for James Paxton, and nobody else wants to throw a change up to put right in the middle of the distribution change up is all but the thing i mean you say that but it's all relative your change up has to be um your change up has to be a, a far slower than your fastball otherwise it's the same freaking thing as a change up is just a bad fastball so zach Rinke is far slower than the rest of these guys <laughs> well i I mean that's fastball. that's the thing that I actually really like this because it you really see the pitch arsenal and what you'll see in the the next plots where I actually show you just one pitcher um, is that you you really see the breakdown of the of the pitch arsenals here. I man I just I really like this. It's very frustrating. Um, okay, so on Jose Barrios, this is where you immediately see that the two seam and the the sinker are the same pitch. <laughs> that's super annoying yeah there it is uh so this is where i took the box and whisker the box and whisker is 2019 and then i i just plopped dots for all of the 2020 distribution uh 2020 pitches on there just to see how things are doing i actually really like this plot jose Rios's velocity up on all pitches 
Wait, so the dot the dots are this year. Yeah. Oh, so you well, so you're wrong. So you plotted the twenty twenty and then over that you put the box and whisker from twenty nineteen. This guy. Sure. Yes. <laughs> Technically that is true. Uh, sorry. Sorry, listen, there's a little Python behind the scenes as I look at these. That is that is pretty good. Yeah, his four seam is is up. Is that just that we haven't gotten the second half of the season? So that's that's an open question. I mean, the reason that I wanted to do this is because in a short season, I wanted to diagnose, or the reason that I put points on here in a short season, I want to diagnose, are these points converging to the same distribution that we've seen, or is something materially different? With Barrios, it kind of seems like things are materially different. Or he has a, yeah. Yes. I think that let's let's keep with that one and be positive. And not say that his second half last year was down, which I think it was. Well, we can, sure we was. can, I can test that. I'm happy to test that. Okay. Um, you should test that. <laughs> all right. One that you asked me for, the, <laughs> the Garrett Cole plot. So he just removed um, yeah. sinker slash two seam from his yep. arsenal. So he dropped from five pitches to four pitches. Wow, his distribution though of his two seam was not that dissimilar from his four seamer. So if it actually was um the same speed but just had a little bit more movement, why would why would you not want to have that pitch in your arsenal? I I don't know. Just too complex to throw it or or we could be in small number stats. I'm not really sure. But his so his hmm. big contrast pitch. I love seeing this knuckle curve down here. <laughs> yeah, oh, that's great. But he what's well, to say? This is the um, this is a Craig Kimbrell, but Garrett Cole is accurate, and he um, has then two other pitches that he can pitch as that's well. That's right. Cole is a nice example because he really looks like he's converging to the exact distributions that he had last year. <laughs> yeah, his upper. The upper speed, um, upper limits of his speed is a little bit down. He's turning a little bit slower on his four-seamer, but his slider is exactly on, yeah. which is but, but remember great. that these are the maximum, the maxima, right? Yeah. So, it's, yeah. so yeah. it's possible that because we're looking at a smaller data sample, that his fastball just hasn't hit that, that natural fluctuation that he would have. Yeah, I just, I pasted in examples of that. I, uh, examples of box and whiskers that we can do to try to combat the i'm actually a big um, fan of this i gotta i gotta do some work on that if you see c c would work really well if you could actually get it to be proportional but in someone who works on proportional data a lot on maps <laughs> it it actually never really works it's just your eye is not that good at discerning it Anyways, I, yeah, if we if we could, we're, we're seven weeks into the season of a shortened season, so this is is never going to converge perfectly. So I mean, I think that just this by eye looks is is really helpful. Yeah, I like this Garrett Cole one. So it's time to um, time to upgrade these. I think a little bit. I think you gave me some good suggestions. What else are you thinking? What else can we do with this? You want to see some spin rate versions? <laughs> no, I think that this is a good this is a good start. I think that we might need to, um, we might need to figure out 
No, I think it's just how do we get multiple people in the same thing? Because when we reduce the vec to reduce the number of vectors to one player two years, it makes a lot of sense. It's really hard to compare pitchers against each other, especially once we get up to four. So maybe that's what we need to figure out. But I like this. This is uh, an oldie but a goodie. Uh, box and whisker. Feels like going back to elementary school. It's it's quite nice. But yeah, let's try and solve that wrinkle of, or the the question of how do we how do we compare multiple players against each other? That's more than just two players. Absolutely. I think that about brings us to the review session. Taylor Williams. We are we now, are on Michael, a horrible streak of picking reviews. Well, <laughs> Michael, you said to me uh, after the Drew Pom- Pomerantz, you said we are not going to review another San Diego Padre, and we said we said <sighs> we're not going to do it. And then what happens? We pick Taylor Williams. And later that afternoon, Karma says, oh, you said you weren't going to review another San Diego Padre. Well, fucking watch this. <laughs> and he gets traded, like, completely unexpectedly from the Mariners to the Padres. And he he has no no real use in their bullpen anymore. They optioned him immediately. He just got brought back up. I Yes. What? Uh, yes. You know, yes. We have you know, nothing. Really, we've literally nothing. To it's review. really unfortunate because we should have just reviewed Hirano because it was kind of like Hirano was the closer before. Hirano was the closer last year. Hirano probably should have been the Mariners' named closer anyway this year. But Taylor Williams, the stats look so good. Like. He's he's only appeared he's appeared in fourteen games six saves this year thirteen point two innings pitched and over those yeah, but look at his just look at his ERA I mean come on that's what I said last week that's what I'll say again twelve point twelve point five one K per nine though I mean that's like I didn't that's a good. really good number <laughs> yeah I I don't know what else, what else there is to say apart from he does not look even remotely what I thought he would look like mentally in my head. What did you think it looked like? Um, I wasn't expecting the hair. I think that is, yeah, a little bit, a little bit more surfer. Yeah, dude. What's going? What's going on? I mean, it's like, is is this like he looked at Mike Clevenger and he thought I can pull that off, <laughs> and we're headed that way? <laughs> it's like I, I'll get there. I'll get there next year. Maybe. I mean, I feel like we're headed. We're headed to some headed to some Clevenger hair, and I just, for the record. I do not like it. <laughs> well, going to be both on the same team now. That's partly why I brought that up <laughs> as well. <laughs> uh, so let me just ask Taylor Williams: Is he going to is he going to matter? Do we need to know this name this year? Do we need to know this name going forward? What's your gut feeling? I don't think that I think that he will get saves of a vulture variety. The rest of his career, I don't know that he's someone that we really need to know. I don't think that he's someone that we really need to get to know. And I mean, are you are you saying that because of his ERA? Uh, yeah, his ERA. Watching a couple of him, he's he strikes guys out because he because he's going after guys, and he doesn't quite have the stuff to go after guys. It's what it's pretty clear, you know. I don't. I just don't think that he's. Um, well, let me bring him back up. I just 
I think he's actually more likely to be the kind of guy that does the... Um, you know how every once in a while there's a there's a player that goes from being a starting pitcher to being a closer, and you're like, the Zach Britton types mm-hmm. where you're like, wow, that's all of a sudden you've reduced his arsenal and he looks pretty good. Well, every once in a while you have the the reliever who goes and becomes a starter, and I'm blanking on the name of who was the Cubs guy for a couple of years around the 2010s, who you're just like, oh, look at that. All of a sudden he started starting, and he's pretty decent. I think Williams might end up might end up being uh, might end up going that direction. Get out of the bullpen. I don't know if he has injury risk or some reason why he doesn't. But um, I can see I can see him getting out of there. I mean, he um he's had a, he's he has had slightly, a slightly weird career. I mean, he's he's not he's not young, and he's basically he he hasn't logged all that many major league innings. And most of his major league innings, oh. all of his major league innings, except for this year with the Brewers. Yeah. Yeah, we probably saw him and didn't notice. We, I've probably seen him. <laughs> yeah. Um. Okay. Well, I am. I was pretty bummed. Pretty bummed by that development. I would like to do something successful this week. You want to do something successful? Yes. So I've got a guy for you. He's not the closer, and he's behind one of our favorite closers. Can we review Devin Ooh, Williams? I'll allow it. Of the Milwaukee Brewers. I'll allow it. We're going Williams to Williams here, so I thought... As long as there's a through line. He's got... In 17 innings, he has 35 Ks. All right, time for a little housekeeping. Be sure to subscribe to us on iTunes and follow us on Twitter. Fantasy Tools, Mind the Z. Thank you, Mild Manor, for letting us use your tunes. Be sure to follow them on SoundCloud and Facebook. Feel free to email us with questions or comments. Send us messages at fantasy.tools at gmail.com. Again, Mind the Z. All I've got left is, worst of luck to you, buddy. Worst of luck to you, too. Yeah!